Welcome to this week's podcast from the Equipping Church. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jacob as well. We are continuing in our series, The Elijah Chronicles. And uh, this morning we're going to talk about the fire of God. And uh, I'm anticipating this morning there's an impartation in the atmosphere this morning as I was uh, praying last night. I was going to cover a a completely different topic this morning, and uh, the Lord's been doing this to me lately. I prepare during the week, and then He changes it Saturday night. Hallelujah. But that's how we are supposed to be, right? Led by the Spirit of God, led by the voice of God, and uh, following His leading. Amen. Uh, Man makes his plans, but the Lord orders his steps. I want to start with a scripture that has nothing to do with Elijah. Uh, But I want to set a precedent this morning uh, and kind of lay a foundation uh, about the fire of God before we jump into uh, the story of Elijah. Deuteronomy 4, 23 and 24 says this. So watch yourselves that you do not forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you and make for yourselves a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord your God has commanded you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire a jealous God. The Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. The very nature of God is one of consuming. I had a conversation with someone this week, and I said the issue with most uh, people who come into Christianity is they make Jesus part of their life and not make him their whole life. That we put Jesus on the peripheral of our lives rather than the center of our lives. We add him to our options rather than making him the only option. And Deuteronomy declares to us that he's a jealous God. Uh, The very nature of God is that he is a consuming God. He destroys everything that is against him. He destroyed the work of sin at the cross. And this symbol of fire is a very vivid symbol to use. It's a very consuming element. Any of you ever fascinated by fire as a child? Any pyros in the room this morning? You just wanted to to light things on fire. I, I was fascinated by the power in fire. And that same element of power is in God, that God as one that essentially He wants to consume us. God wants to consume every aspect of your life. He wants to burn out the idols on the inside of us. He wants to deal with those things. See, in our charismatic flavor and our Pentecostal expressions, everyone cries out for the fire of God. Oh, we want the fire. We want the thrills and chills of the fire. But when the fire comes, it actually consumes and refines and purifies and makes us different. But there is power in that fire. And within Scripture, fire plays a central role. We see dramatic manifestations of fire all throughout Scripture. We can go to Mount Horeb where fire comes down as a consuming fire. In our story today where Elijah calls down fire at the altar, uh, the escape from Egypt, there's this pillar of fire that separates the Israelites from Egypt. We uh, see when Solomon uh, dedicates the temple, fire sovereignly comes down consuming the sacrifice. Elijah, at the end of uh, his natural life, is taken up in the chariot of fire, uh, not tasting death. And like I said, the story today at Mount Carmel that we'll get into, uh, fire consumes so dramatically the sacrifice. In the New Testament, John the Baptist spoke of Jesus coming to baptize with fire. Luke 3.17 His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Using this picture that we are the grain of wheat on the stalk that is uh, being thrown up and the wind blowing away the chaff surrounding the grain and that chaff then being burned. It's speaking of our lives, that which is of the flesh, the rubbish in our life, the things that hold us back. The fire of God comes to deal with it. And the result brings us to Revelation 3. We're about to get into our story, but I want to lay this foundation this morning. Revelation 3.14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Man, this is real encouraging this morning, isn't anyone getting encouraged yet? 
Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. And he with me, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Laying a foundation this morning, we reach Revelation 3 in the church at Laodicea. They were a people who had lost their fervency for the things of God. And they thought they had it all together. And the reality is that they'd lost their edge and they were wretched and they were miserable and they were poor and they were blind and they were naked. And the answer that Christ gives them in this moment is to purchase a gold that is refined by fire, a gold that has gone through the fire, that has impurities burnt out, that is pure as pure can get. So what is he saying to the church at Laodicea, go through the fire. Let the fire refine you. Go through the fires of purification and thereby thereby become clothed with Christ and His righteousness. What is the way for this? Going through the dealings of God. We're, We're going somewhere, laying a foundation this morning. But here's the good news. Linked to any move of the Holy Spirit is fire. Linked to any great move of God is the fire of God. The charismatic movement was a move of the Spirit that began in the 1970s, uh, late 1960s, early 1970s. And a lot of our current expressions in the charismatic Pentecostal church came out of that movement. And we can link back a lot of it to that where the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which actually started in a Catholic church, began to sweep through the nation and through the nations where many were being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And one of the major emphasis during that movement was the dealings of God. I, I grew up in the 90s in, in the, the after effects of the Brownsville revival, which was holiness, and the Toronto outpouring, which was all about the love of God. But in the very foundations of every revival is this idea of people who must be refined by the fire of God to carry the power of God. And so there were fire-like experiences. I remember uh, we were joking about a, 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 an evangelist that used to come through our church when I was little. His name was Brother Petty. And when Brother Petty would would pray for people, he'd shake them so hard that sometimes he'd actually shake people's arms out of their sockets. I I remember one time he shook me so hard as he was praying that his hand went up and hit me in the face and gave me a black eye. Now, was that the Holy Ghost? No, it was the flesh. We just have to get real with it. It wasn't the Holy Ghost. But I remember he would talk about watching revival fires burn. And I I remember the stories he would tell of of people getting caught on fire by the Holy Spirit and being transformed. And I believe that more than ever before in the Western church, we need a move of fire in the church. We need the Holy Ghost with fire to sweep through us, to deal with the things on the inside of us that keep us back from true revival. There are things God is looking to visit a holy people. And we become holy by the fire of God. We need the fire of God to come and burn up the garbage in our life. To burn up those things that hold us back. To burn up those idols that we've created. To burn up our own images of who we think we should be. Because if we ever create an image of ourselves outside of the nature and the foundation of who Christ is, it's a graven image. And so we come to our story this morning in 1 Kings 18. This is where we're going to really start. That was the intro. Hallelujah. 1 Kings 18, verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? He said, I have not troubled Israel. 
but you and your father's house have, because you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. Now then send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you that it's alive and it's active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And I thank you this morning, Father, for the anointing that makes preaching easy, that I might communicate your heart to your people for this time and this season, that together collectively we might passionately pursue your presence more than ever before, and that, Father, we'd be transformed not by my words, but by your word, and that your anointing that breaks every yoke of bondage would be evident in this place this morning, that when I pull my hands back, it would be your handprint that's left. It would be the evidence of the Holy Ghost that has been in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Elijah issues a challenge to the real troubler of Israel. He says, get your prophets and come meet me at Mount Carmel. There was about to be a showdown at Mount Carmel. There was about to be a display. You know, the equivalent today would be uh, like uh, Christians going into uh, maybe a satanic coven and saying, come meet me. I'll never forget. One time, a a group of friends and I, we decided that we were going to go down to the local spiritualist hotspot up in Northern California, and we decided we were going to go, and we were just going to make some trouble. Whether it was wise or not, I don't know, but we decided that's what we were going to do. So a group of us went, and we knew that there was this big New Age thing happening up there, and so we went and we sat at the back. And they were doing their seance and and a whole bunch of stuff and crystals and sage and whatever. And so seven of us were sitting at the back. Not loud. We weren't being super demonstrative. We were just sitting at the back. And they're getting frustrated up at the front. They don't know what's happening at the back. But at... At the back, there's just a group of wild uh, Bible college students. And we're just sitting in the back and we're just kind of laughing because you can tell they're getting confused. And they're trying to do this thing and they're pouring water on this thing and and they're and all this stuff and nothing's happening. And they're getting frustrated. And, And the leader of this group, he finally, he says, you people back there, shut up. And we're not even loud. It's just, and we just, so it just got a little bit quieter. And finally he says, get out. He says, you're disturbing the atmosphere. He says, what is it about you people? And I said, well, we just have a greater power than you've got. He says, no, you don't. I said, I can prove it. And he goes, no, you can't. I said, all right. And I don't know why I did this, y'all. I, whether it was wisdom or not, I just did it. Okay? So I'm just telling I'm not saying that this is what you need to go do. You don't need to go march into the enemy's camp every day and decide to stir up trouble. But I decided that this is what we were going to do. He says, well, I can guarantee you I'll curse you. I said, try it. And he's doing this stuff with his sage and is throwing his hands at me. And I'm looking at him, and I'm, I'm like, let's see, I would have been 18. And I'm standing there, I'm starting to chuckle. And he goes, it's not working. I said, of course it's not. He goes, I said, now watch this. In the name of Jesus, boom, and he falls over. And all of a sudden, well, his assistant calls the police. And they came. And the police said, what are you doing? And he goes, he killed our leader. And the guy's not dead. He's just laying on the ground. And the guy who's on the ground starts going, it's Jesus, Jesus, it's Jesus. And he starts screaming, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And the guy jumps up off the ground and he says, we can't do this stuff anymore. And the the rest of his little group are looking at him. What are you talking about? I saw him. I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus. And he told me that he was king and that we needed to give our lives to him. And this whole, I mean, this, it disrupted this whole new age little thing. Well, the police are just standing there. And one of the, the police officers was a Christian. And he goes, what'd you do? I said, 
didn't really do much. And I said, we're just sitting in the back, just praying in the spirit. He goes, what does that mean? Well, the police officer was a Baptist. Had no frame of reference. And he goes, I said, well, we were praying in tongues. He goes, well, that's the devil. I said, sir, what they were doing was the devil. What just happened was the Holy Ghost. He goes, this is too much, and just left. (laughs) But it was a showdown. Now, whether it was wisdom or not to go in, all I know is the leader of that group got saved that day. Got radically filled with the Holy Ghost. His little murder didn't work. So Elijah, in verse 20, or I'm sorry, Ahab, sends a message among all the sons of Israel, verse 20, and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? How long will you hesitate? One translation says, How long will you limp along undecisively? How long will you limp along undecisively? How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. They did not respond. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give to us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood and I will not put a fire on it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, that's a good idea. They agreed with it because they were anticipating that Baal, the god of weather, could send fire. What a bold challenge. What cutting edge ministry. Those of us who like to think they're on the cutting edge. Listen, I was 18 and naive. I just did it. I don't know if I, I'll be honest. I'm regaining some of my edge. We were talking about it at prayer yesterday. You used to see miracles all the time, and then we just settle into stuff, right? We start to lose our cutting edge. We start to go through some disappointments. We start to go through some hopelessness. We start to experience things that are contrary to what we were believing for. Even last night as I was praying, I was having to deal with some more disappointment in my heart. We deal with things when things don't go the way that we pray. We start to deal with disappointment. But one of the things that I've had to learn through my life is God is not a vending machine. I can't just push the right buttons. I can't just put in the right amount and get the response that I'm expecting. The deeper my history with God, the more I recognize the little I know about Him and how wondrous His ways are. But what I do understand is that when I walk in relationship with Him, no matter the outcome, He's good. But I have to let go of my disappointment. I have to let go of those things that have caused hurt in my heart and recognize God didn't do it. God is not the author of confusion. So when I'm confused about a situation, I have to recognize he's not the author of that confusion. So we've got to deal with the disappointments in our heart. We've got to regain that cutting edge. And Elijah was on the cutting edge. I can see the headlines. If I decided to go down to the center of town and call a challenge, pastor calls challenge for fire in city square. I mean, can you imagine? And this is what Elijah does. He issues this bold challenge in the middle of a situation of famine. Remember, we're in the middle of famine. Elijah had already said there was going to be no rain. Now he's going to call down fire. And actually, we are faced with these sorts of challenges every day. The person who's not yet a Christian who needs healing. The person full of fear needing the peace of God ministered to them. The person under the influence of satanic power needing deliverance. And the same question raises itself for us as I'm sure would have been raised for Elijah. Would God answer? And the reality is some of us struggle with that question. Is God going to answer? Because part of my history says that I haven't had the answers that I was looking for. Part of our history says that I was disappointed. The prayer that I prayed wasn't answered. And so we have to come to the challenge on the inside before we can ever answer the challenge on the outside. We have to deal with those things on the inside before we can issue the challenge on the outside. Maybe he might even allow the priest of Baal sacrifice to come on fire. Then what? What would happen? But Elijah issued the challenge because he had bold faith. Verse 25. 
So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire on, under it. Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they made. It came about at noon. Then Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside, or is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. One translation, there's a great, have any of you ever seen, oh, I just forgot the name of that show. Our kids love it. Uh, Bible something. It, these kids, they jump into a Bible and they, they go back in history and they watch all these uh, stories take place. Well, they use the message version in that. And the message version is, perhaps Baal is on the toilet. <laughs> I mean, Elijah just mocks them. Says so. Then they cried with a louder voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the b- blood gushed out on them. When midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Had it been me, I probably would have spent all day in my corner pleading for God to show up when it was my time. God, they're over there pleading, but Elijah has some fun. He makes fun of them. He mocks them. He spends all day, hey, Baal asleep over there? Oh, you're cutting yourselves now. Maybe he's gone to the toilet. And I mean, this satanic frenzy takes place as the priests attempted everything they could to get their gods to answer them. There's bloody ritual to invoke their deities to action. I would imagine by this time the atmosphere would have been fairly thick and not with the anointing. I could imagine the heaviness resting on this place. Not the best environment for ministry. Not the best. Not a place I'd want to be necessarily. I'll never forget when we were in Uganda. And I'm in the middle of preaching to 7,000 people in the crowd. Great crusade. God had been moving. And this bishop, who wasn't the smartest guy around, and I let him know later on, gets up in the middle of my preaching the gospel, and he says, I need the microphone. And he takes the microphone from me. And he says over the microphone, crowd of 7,000, I command every demon to manifest. You dummy. Quiet. No joke. Rushed the stage. We've got people climbing up the, the sides of the stage. We've got them slithering under the stage. I mean, demon manifesting everywhere. Some of them were probably people just joining in, but I don't know. And I'm thinking, what in the world? I imagine that's what it kind of looked like at Carmel. Is all these demons slithering on the floor, all these people cutting themselves, hissing, growling, all the stuff happening. I, I've never wanted to throat punch someone more in my life than I wanted to hit him. And I had a decision to make. I can let this frenzy because I'm looking around and I've got my team, who were all women at the time, all over the age of 50, wrestling. These Ugandan demonized people. I've got one lady over here straddling, hitting the woman into the thing. Come out in Jesus' name. And I'm thinking, Lord, what do I do? And the Holy Spirit says, take authority. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. So I stole the microphone back. I said, I command every demon to shut up in Jesus' name. I'll tell the rest of the story later. No, I'm just kidding. So they're quiet. I decided I'm not doing anything with these bodies laying on. I mean, there's bodies laying all over the floor. There's, I mean, everywhere. So I just keep preaching the gospel. Get people saved. I think over those four nights, we had about 4,800 people saved, including some ISIS members. We had terrorists saved. Well, here's what happened after the crusade. I was in a different car. They took the rest of my team back to the 
abandoned mosque that we were staying in. That's a whole other story. And as I'm getting ready to leave, Pastor Enoch comes to me and says, Pastor, we've got an issue. I said, what do you mean? He says, there's dead people. Huh? People gotten crushed in that demonic frenzy. And they piled them up behind the stage. There's just this pile of dead bodies. I said, what do you want me to do about it? Raise them from the dead or you're going to jail. You want me to raise them from the dead or I'm going to jail? He said, yeah, if the police come, they'll charge you with murder. I've got this pile of 34 bodies behind the stage. And I'm supposed to do what? I don't raise people from the dead. I just prophesy and pray for the sick. Well, desperate times call for desperate measures, right? So all of a sudden, I remember this story of Jack Coe. Jack Coe was in Indiana preaching on this big stage, and they had this big black curtain across the stage. And behind the black curtain were all the, the people who were dying in stretchers and on IVs. And in the middle of his preaching, Jack Coe starts running and pulling down this black curtain across this stage, exposing all these dying people. And he goes up to each one, and he grabs them and throws them out of their stretcher. And this is what he says, live or die in Jesus' name. And as the story goes, they would fly through the air, land on their feet, spin like a top, and run off healed. So this is the story that I have in my mind as I'm looking at this pile of dead bodies. So what did I do? Live or die in Jesus' name. Well, the first one hit the ground <laughs> and then went, ah, and jumped up and ran off. And 33 more. They would hit the ground, get up and run off healed. Desperate times call for desperate measures. But I, I tell this story because we're issued a challenge. The enemy will challenge you in your faith. The enemy will challenge you with dead things. And you have to make a decision in those moments. How are you going to respond? Are you going to go to a place of worry? Elijah could have gone to the place of worry. Instead, he just taunted the enemy all day. Wasn't the ideal environment, but often in the most unideal environments is where God moves the most. The cutting-edge ministry is not in the church, but where satanic power seemingly rules. It's why we must get out there. If we want to shift a nation, if we want to shift a city, it's not going to happen just in the prayer room. The prayer room is essential. We believe it's the driving engine of the church. Nothing happens in the kingdom without intercession. So don't hear me wrong. But if our intercession doesn't birth a power response. If our intercession doesn't birth something on the inside of us that compels us to go. When the disciples were in the upper room where those flames of fire, we're talking about the fire of God, right? Where those flames of fire rested on their heads. It wasn't so that they could tell a great story. Hey, we were in a prayer room and all these flames of fire came and rabalabashamba and all of that. No, it empowered them to be witnesses of the resurrection power of Jesus to then go down where 3,000 were added to the church in one day. There was purpose for the power. There was purpose for the power. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. He says, come in close. So they all came down near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water flowed around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. So, of course, Elijah does it all wrong. I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, how can I make this more dry? 
See, I would have gotten the wood at the very beginning of the day, set it out in the heat of the sun. I would have cut up that meat at the beginning of the day, let it dry out some, get it as dry as possible. But Elijah, he doesn't do it that way. He, he does it when the chances are the least. But see, when we come to minister and we come to church, we want the music to be right and we want the prayers to be right and we want the congregation seated and attentive and all the disturbances quickly dealt with by the ushers and we want no distractions and we've got to have the perfect atmosphere for God to move and no listen God moves in the most messy of situations now do we want to do things in decency and order of course are we trying to walk in excellence of course but listen God doesn't need us to be perfect for him to move God doesn't need all the chairs in the perfect places and everything and the ambience just right and the perfect Pentecostal G chord playing on the keyboard for God to move he moves in the messy Elijah understood a great principle that seeps its way all through the scriptures. 1 Samuel 14, 6. For the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. The Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. It's an attitude that we must develop in our faith. God is not restricted by the degree of difficulty. It's no more difficult for him to provide $1,000 than it is for him to provide $100. It's no more difficult for him to heal a cancer as it is to heal a headache. But for some reason in our minds, we create these degrees of difficulty and we have these ideas in our mind. The more difficult it gets, the more hard it is for God to do it. But God is not restrained to say by many or by few. The restrictive dynamic is not from God, but from our faith to actually believe that to be true. And Elijah is simply a dramatist. I, that's why I love Elijah. He's full of drama. I relate to Elijah. It's all drama. He says, let's make this as dramatic as possible. Let's get the wood wet. Let's get the sacrifice wet. Let's fill the trench with water. And at the time of the offering, verse 36, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to lay, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. He didn't have to beg and moan and plead and cry and bind and loose and all those things that we do. He simply prayed. It says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering in the wood and the stones in the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah said to them, seize the prophet the Baal, do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now that's faith, and it's drama. And that's the God that we all serve. But see, Elijah appealed to the very nature of God as a consuming fire, and God came and He consumed Behind this story is a powerful message. Altars and sacrifice often speak of our own lives. We must repair the altar of the Lord in our own life. We must have that place where we make sacrifice before the Lord. We must have that holy and consecrated place in our life where we meet with God and God meets with us. We cannot live a life apart from the altar of the Lord. Some of you would say, well, how do I rebuild it? Go back to the place you left it. Return to your very first altar. I remember a time in my life pastoring here at this church. We had gotten down to nobody but my mother-in-law and my wife. The church was seemingly dead. It was over. We needed to just close the doors. That's what it felt like. And I remember laying, we used to have those wooden altars. How many of you remember wooden altars in the church? We had these wooden altars here at the front, and the carpet, I think, was still purple. And I remember laying on that altar and hearing the Lord say, return to your first altar. And I said, God, what does that even mean? And I remember going back to that place in my mind where I first consecrated to my, my life to Jesus. 
to that very first place where I said yes to him. And in my mind, I went back to that place and I said, God, I return to that first altar. I return to that place of meeting where I first met with you, where I first encountered you. You need to return to that place of encounter with the Lord. You may be distant from his presence now, but let me tell you, the moment you return to the altar, he'll meet you there. He's not a God who's distant. His word says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. It's not that he ever left you. He never forsook you. It's that in your own heart, you need to return back to him. He's still in the same place. Return to the altar. Behind the story is the message of fire, which speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit to consume that which is displeasing in the sight of God. The fire of God wants to make us holy. The fire of God wants to consume us. Romans 12.1 Present your bodies as a living sacrifice so that you may prove what is the acceptable will of the Lord. It is in the presenting of our bodies on that altar that the fire of God comes and consumes the things that hold us back and then we begin to prove what the will of the Lord is which is what for us to look like Him. The wood symbolizing humanity and our own flesh and humanness. The ox being an animal of strength, symbolizing our human strength. I believe that more than ever before, we're going to step into an ox anointing as a church. What is the ox anointing? The ox anointing is the apostolic anointing. It is the anointing to carry the weight of God. It's the anointing to begin to plow the field. I'm telling you, the field is ripe for harvest, but I need some people who are willing to be an ox in this hour, who are willing to say, I will plow with the hand of the Lord. I will be the ox that God can, can use. And then the water, he pours the water, being the word and the spirit working upon us. The picture concerns the fact that through all our yelling, pleading, screaming and striving, we will not put forth God's hand. Listen, there is a time for the Rondai Shondais at decibels that hurt the human ear. I agree. I believe in birthing. I believe in travailing. I believe in the, the fierce, aggressive prayer. But there's something that also rests on this house and we will not abandon our call to adoration. We can robo shaka all day long, but there comes a moment where we also have to adore the one who's seated on the throne. There's got to be a balance between the striving and the warring and the, the pleading and all of that, and then the adoration. Elijah didn't do either in that moment. He simply came before the presence of the God. Why? Because the challenge that you're met with will have the authority that's birthed in the secret place. Elijah already walked in relationship with God. He didn't need to beg and plead for God because he already walked in relationship. When Jesus comes down off the mountain and he's met with, this, with the father who has the demonized child, he responds to the disciples and he says, some of these only come out by prayer and fasting. But Jesus neither prayed nor fasted in that moment. He simply commanded. Why? Because he'd already prayed and he'd already fasted. He had already lived a lifestyle of prayer. He'd already lived a lifestyle of fasting. See, we think that we need to fast for breakthrough. No, we need to fast to get ourselves in the right place so that we can be breakthrough. Elijah simply prays, God, based on who you are, answer by fire. Because he already knew who God was. See, some of us don't have a revelation of who God is. And so we're praying prayers based out of confusion. And we're praying prayers that aren't based in relationship. And we're praying things that we've never developed in the secret place. And we're wanting God to move on our behalf. But we don't even know who he is. And when we get a revelation of who he is. And we get a revelation of his character and his nature. Then like Elijah, we can pray a simple prayer and God answers by fire. When we develop the attitude of our lives as our, that we are a sacrifice for God, when we dedicate our humanness and strength back to God for Him to deal with, God will come to us at our own altar as the God of the consuming fire and bring fire upon the sacrifice of our lives. But each of us must build our own altar of sacrifice where we make the decision to dedicate all to our God to place our lives on the altar of sacrifice and therefore giving God permission to deal with us as he sees fit, to hold nothing back from God, giving our very strength to him. And as such, the promise of God is fire. So we go back to our verse in Revelation. How do we buy gold revined by fire? There's only one way that I know. Build an altar. 
Build an altar. Build a place in the secret place. Build an altar that no one else sees. No one else knows what happens at that that altar. Because when you have a secret altar, you can have a public altar. So many in this generation, they want the public altar. I talk to people all the time. How do I get into ministry? How do I have a traveling ministry? I didn't get a traveling ministry when I was traveling because I put myself out there. I had a traveling ministry because I birthed an altar in a secret place and God answered the secret place and he opened doors I could have never opened. People ask, how do you see creative miracles? How do you see anointing? Build an altar. Give me an impartation of the ministry of your life. I can't. I can give you an impartation of the altar. I can teach you how to build an altar. I can't give you what I have because I paid a price for it. You have to pay a price for the anointing. You have to pay a price for the fire of God. You can't just walk in it. You have to pay a price for it. I wish that I could just lay hands on people and say, oh, now you'll have all the miracles I've ever had. It doesn't work that way. I can get a grace from someone and I can have an impartation from someone. I believe in impartation. I believe that there are things that are impartable. The altar is not impartable. The anointing, I can release an anointing that might bring a healing over your life. I might be able to release something that will bring transformation in a moment, but it is only sustained by an altar. You've got to get it this morning. Elijah could not give what he didn't have. All he could give was what he had, which was right relationship with God. All he could do was teach in that moment and demonstrate, God will answer by fire because I know who God is. Build an altar. Some would say, well, this is elusive. It's difficult. This is so ethereal. How do I build an altar? It starts in the heart where you daily choose to sacrifice. It starts in the heart where we pray what Jesus prayed. Not my will, but thine be done. Jesus said, take up my cross and follow me. It's a choosing of Christ above all else. As we determine to live a life with Christ is central. God will come in fire and consume us. And out of it comes a purity of life and spirit that shines forth the glory of God. Job said, oh, I've been through the fire, but I came out shining like gold. I've gone through it. But I got a revelation of who God was in my fire. It was in the fire and in the testings when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we won't bow the knee to a false altar because we built an altar in the secret place. They were thrown into a natural fire. But the fourth man showed up in that fire and he released to them an anointing that kept them so that when they came out of the fire, they weren't even smelling like smoke. It had burned off the bondages. See, some of you have been resisting the fire. You've been resisting that place. But God wants you to know when you get into the fire, the things that bound you get burned off. When you get into the fire, the things that hold you back get burned away. When you get into the fire, it starts to transform you and make you more like Him. I need a people who are saying this morning, I want the fire of God. I'll build an altar. I'll build a place where I can have the fire of God. What we lose is nothing compared to the glory one gains who's been burned by the fire of God's Spirit. Evan Roberts prayed, bend to me, Lord. My cry in this hour is burn me, Lord. Burn it up. Burn up everything that keeps me back from you. Burn it up. I don't care what I need to go through. I don't care what it is. Burn it up. Burn it up. So my challenge to you this morning is build an altar. Build an altar. I believe there is an impartation this morning to the fire of God. But the fire of God is not the thrills and the chills. The fire of God isn't some charismatic meeting where people shake, rattle, and roll. The fire of God is where God meets you at your altar and He burns out. It's a fire of holiness. It's a fire of purity. And it's a fire that transforms. If you want that fire this morning, I want you to come forward. And I want you to begin Put on some music, Melanie. We're going to begin to believe that the fire of God. 
The fire of God is not impartable by human hands. It's impartable by the Spirit of God. And I believe the Spirit of God is in the room this morning to impart to you. I don't need to lay hands on you this morning. You're simply coming and you're saying, I'm coming to the altar. I'm coming to build my altar before the Lord. I'm coming to build an altar in His presence. I'm coming because I'm saying, I can't stay the way I've been. I can't face the challenges that I face without the fire of God. You're coming this morning because you're saying, God, meet me at an altar. Meet me at an altar. Meet me at an altar, God. I want you to pray this prayer this morning. Jesus, I come before you to build an altar. I will repair the altar of the Lord in my life. And upon that altar, I lay my life. Consume me. Burn away whatever holds me back. Today, consume me, God. Jesus, 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 Jesus. If you pray in the Holy Ghost, I encourage you to pray in the Holy Ghost this morning. You're asking God to meet you this morning. You're asking God for His fire this morning. You're asking God to meet you this morning. You're asking God for His fire. You're asking God to consume you. You're saying, God... Here's my altar. Here's my altar. I return to the altar of the Lord. In just a moment, I'm going to come by and I am going to lay hands on you. And when I lay hands on you, I'm praying one thing, fire. Father, I pray today that this would be a marking moment in the lives of your people. That today would be a day 
Today would be a day. Father, touch Melanie with the fire of God right now. Touch Greg with the fire of God right now. Right now, the fire of God. The fire of God. The fire of God. Everyone watching my live stream, be touched with the fire of God today. And Father, I pray that today, I pray that today would be a transitional moment in their lives. It would be a threshold moment that they would cross over. That they would cross over beyond what's been normal for them. And that they would live in the fire of God today. We glorify you, Jesus. We thank you, Father, that today is a day of fire. In the mighty name of Jesus. Just take a few moments. Take a few moments and just turn your affection towards Him now. Spirit of God, rest in this place. Spirit of God, right? Spirit of God. Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, Father, I pray that from this day forward, the secret place altars will never be torn down. That, Father, we would live our life at the altar of your presence and that we would forever be marked by the secret place. That when the public challenges come, we can respond out of the secret place. Father, I pray right now that the blessing of the Lord would rest upon your people. Father, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Turn his countenance toward you and give you peace. May every good and perfect gift which comes from the Father of lights be placed in your hands that today you may be made whole and walk in Him lacking nothing. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now go in the fire and in the presence of the Lord. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or visit www.equippingchurch.us.